Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, Hugh Bonneville and Kelly MacDonald on the new Netflix thriller, I Came By, as well as its director and other cast members. All the week's new movie releases are, are dissected by Mark Ryle and you better strap yourself in as we're reviewing Michael Flatley's Blackbird. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email us, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. And if you have children in your life, I hope they had a safe return to school or crash or all those September-like things many of us do. Now, if you're listening on the radio, September the 3rd, it's National Cinema Day. 95% of Irish cinemas in the country are reducing their ticket prices today. That's the 3rd of September, if you're listening on the radio, to four quid uh, for all sorts of movies. So you could go see Top Gun or Nope or on Colleen Kewen. There's so many movies that are great at the moment in the cinema. So why not go to the cinema? It's only four quid today if you can still make it. But why not go to the cinema any week, even if it's 15 quid? Because the cinema is wonderful. And I'm delighted to be talking to you on the day of National Cinema Day. Cinema's not going anywhere. Just, you know, it's important to say that. Now, in TV, I just want to quickly tell you that we talked about Bad Sisters last week on Apple TV. I'd watched two episodes or three episodes. I've watched the whole series since. Now, it's embargoed, so I can't really get into it. It with you because it's dropping every week on Apple TV. This Sharon Horgan piece about this gang of sisters who really don't like one of their sisters' husbands and strange things happen. I watched it all. It's great. It gets darker. It gets funnier. Keep going with it if you're watching it on Apple TV. Now, the big TV event of the week is the much talked about Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power on Amazon, which launched on Thursday. I was sent, and I think every TV critic movie person was sent two clips. I don't think anyone got any more than that. Not two clips, two episodes, I should say. So I've watched two episodes. Now, in case you don't know, this is shaping up to be the most expensive TV show ever made. To get the rights from the Tolkien estate was millions. Each episode is, I think, 25 million or something like that. With promotion and all those associated costs, they're talking about this coming in around a billion dollars, which makes it the most expensive TV show of all time. Now, here's the thing about Lord of the Rings. I was recently described in a radio review as non-obsessive and non-hysterical, which I, I suppose is a compliment. That said, when it comes to Lord of the Rings, I am a bit of an obsessive and I make no apology for that. You know, we do a slot on this show most weeks where people talk about their favorite movies. And the best ones are always when people, you know, they're tempted to go for something, I don't know, like The Godfather or The Seventh Seal or something meaty. That's possibly meant a lot to them, but really they opt for a movie that they saw as a kid that changed their life, like Dead Poet Society or you know, back to the future. And those make for great interviews. And I'm like that with Lord of the Rings. There are books I've read that I think are my favorite books, like Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, or there's a book by a guy called Don DeLillo called Underworld that I, you know, think or certainly claim is my favorite novel of all time. But really, 
if I'm being truthful, I think it's Lord of the Rings. I was a 12-year-old boy, still am largely, and I read it one summer in my grandmother's house. I have vivid memories of me sitting there reading it and just never before or since being so transported by words on a page. I just adore those books and always have and always will. And fast forward however many years it was when the Peter Jackson movies came out, I was so amazed by how faithful and how imaginative his retelling was of those treasured books. And most Lord of the Rings fans were. And I this is the truth. I went to see the very first one, The Fellowship of the Ring, with my brother, who was also a big Lord of the Rings fan. And I turned to him 40 minutes in and I said, this is amazing. Because it was. So with that long preamble aside, this stuff matters a great deal to me. So what's the verdict on the Rings of Power? Well, it's good. It's not amazing. What you have is the actress Morford Clark playing Galadriel, who was the Kate Blanchett character in the movies. And this is about a thousand years before those events. It's based on the appendices of the Lord of the Rings. And it's about Middle Earth a thousand years beforehand. Galadriel, who is a thousand years younger, but that's elves for you. They live a very long time. And she's on the hunt for Sauron and believes he's still around. Now, if you don't know Lord of the Rings, none of this makes any sense to you, right? And I think therein may be the problem with the Rings of Power. If you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, based on the first two episodes, I'm not sure if you're going to be blown away by this. There's other storylines going on, a lot of storylines going on. There's dwarves, there's elves, there's this crowd of vaguely sounding Irish hobbit-like creatures called Harefoots. There's a couple of, I was going to say competing narratives, but different story strands, which may all come together subsequently. It looks incredible. And it, it almost feels like you should be watching on the cinema. You can see where they've spent the money. And it's good. But for a billion dollars, I'm, I'm slightly underwhelmed uh, for all that's been made of it and how long we've been waiting for this. Now, I'm going to keep going on. I think Lord of the Rings fans will be happy enough, but is happy enough enough, if you know what I mean? So I'm going to have to wait and see what happens. Now, if you've happened to watch any of it so far on Amazon, it's been there since Thursday. Do let me know, John underscore Fardy, or you can email us screentime at newstalk.com. Now, Take a listen to this. I was reading about that judge. People call him a saint. He'd take on inquests on behalf of refugees. It's a publicity stunt. The elusive I came by taggers are back to haunt the city's rich. Fight the system, remember? Can you think of anyone who might have cause to target you? I was a judge, so yes, one or two people. What difference have we really made? Get inside their homes any time we won. You're 23 and what have you achieved? You need to let me get on with my life. If you want to keep writing, keep me out of it. Whose side do you want? Yes, now that was a clip of I Came By on Netflix, which is a new Hitchcockian drama, I dare say. Uh, all about two graffiti artists. One play, a guy called Toby, played by George McKay, who was one of the soldiers you may remember in 1917. And Jay is played by another British actor and comedian, Purcell Ascot. And they are graffiti artists who go around breaking into rich people's houses and 
places of power and they tag in graffiti, I came by. But they see themselves on a mission to kind of upend the seats of British power. And one day they land in Hector Blake's house, played by Hugh Bonneville, who is a retired judge. And they are going to uh, do the business in his house. But there may be more to Hector Blake than we've realized. And this is a slightly darker role than we're used to seeing Hugh Bonneville in. And as I say, it's kind of Hitchcockian in that, well, it's Hitchcockian because it looks and feels a bit like that, but also because, and I don't want to give a spoiler, but let's just say the lead characters change a bit in it and they orbit around Hugh Bonneville's character. Kelly MacDonald is in it as well. And she plays the mother of Toby. Lizzie is her name. And her character gets bigger as it goes on. And as I say, Hugh Bonneville is hiding something, possibly. Or is he? So it's a very decent movie called I Came By on Netflix. And I got to talk to a lot of the cast, including Kelly MacDonald, who plays mother of Toby, who uh, goes on her own journey in the movie. Now, does Kelly MacDonald need any introduction? I'm not sure that... Girl who came to prominence in train spotting. Uh, she was in Line of Duty, of course, a great guest in, in one of the series. She was in a movie this year called Operation Mincemeat, which I spoke to her about earlier. A great Scottish actress. And I spoke to her about I Came By. Fardy from News Talk Radio in Ireland. How are you? I'm good. There's been a few Irish journalists in a row. Yeah. Well, they, they've saved the best for the last, though. So you're good. <laughs> I actually spoke to you for Operation Mince Meat about three months ago. So uh, you're busy. There you go. Listen, can, can I ask you, I, the story's very unusual in that, and I don't want to give any spoilers, but there are many leading ladies and men in it. And when I first started watching it about halfway through, I realized this is going in lots of different places. And your character, I thought, was just going to be this concerned mother. But then she becomes something different as the movie goes on. Did that really speak to you when you got the script and thought, I haven't seen a lot of this kind of stuff before? Oh, yeah. She becomes the, a real protagonist of her story rather than, you know, the. I mean, it's a, it's a, a great part to play a dramatic part to play this sort of worried mother but the fact that she she starts to take things into her own hands and um when she's not getting response she wants from the police and she knows there's more happening um than we than the police sort of believe and so she she becomes like Columbo or something yeah very good yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it uh, she does become a lot more than a worried mother of course and it's a compliment you you look like you're actually his sister as opposed to his mother so ah, to, to, to take that as a compliment and you know there's there's a lot going on in it like it's a it's a whodunit and people are talking about Hitchcocky and motifs and all that but it's probably saying something as well about I don't know English society did that come across to you oh I don't know I think um I I didn't I didn't sort of overthink the political aspect of it and what these boys like mm. um, Marcel and George's character are attempting in the first place um in my head it's just it's like a it, it's a thriller and um mm. and it's um from that mother's perspective that was my viewpoint well, it's funny you say that because it occurs to me that you're a very organic actress and that maybe you act from the gut. Uh, I know there's a famous story that you you answered a call in a, in a newspaper for the first thing we saw you in a casting call and all that kind of stuff. And not that it matters, but you didn't go to acting school per se the way other people do. Is that a fair assessment that you're kind of, you act from the gut? 
Yeah, I'm an instinctual OC uh, actress. Like mm. I, I can, uh, I can generally read something and understand what's being asked. And um, uh, yeah, I, I do. I go with my gut. Mm. Well, but it's that's because like you say, I didn't go to drama school and I don't have anything else to go on. <laughs> Come, come. The best people didn't go to drama school, you know. Can I ask you one thing finally? You know, there was this massive show that you were in, Line of Duty, and uh, yeah. it you seemed quite surprised by just how, I get the impression you were quite surprised how that really brought you back into the public eye again. Were you a bit taken aback by kind of the reception that show got and your part in it when you were this guest actress for a couple of episodes? Yeah, I, I definitely was. I mean, it was talked about from the get-go. I mean, what the show was and how big it was, but I, yeah, it's it, suddenly when it was happening, it was overwhelming. And it mm. was also like the world was mad and it was COVID and lockdown too. And um, it, yeah, it was all just um, a mad time. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, you, you appear to have worn it well. Well, uh, you're very busy. I, as I say, it's the second time I've interviewed you. So I hope you continue to act for a long time to come and continue. Thank you. Success. I good, good. We're all the better for it. Thanks a lot, Kelly. Thank you so much. Kelly MacDonald there talking to me about her her acting life and times and of course the new Netflix drama I Came By which is available to stream. Now now the two graffiti artists at the centre of this, Toby and Jay as I mentioned earlier are played by George Mackay and Purcell Ascot and they have an interesting relationship because they're two graffiti artists doing these jobs and houses all over London but they kind of decide well Jay's character decides he doesn't want to go that route anymore and they, they kind of fall apart a bit. And Toby is a charismatic but confused young man, it's fair to say. So I got to speak to George McKay at Purcell Ascot. George McKay famously and brilliantly was one of the running soldiers in Sam Mendes' 1917. He's been a lot of things. He was also in a great little movie, is it fair to say? Little movie? It was a big Hollywood movie, I suppose, but it was kind of an indie movie called Captain Fantastic. Anyway, I got to talk to George and Purcell earlier in the week. George, if I can start with you, there's a great scene really near the start where your character does this interesting thing where he robs a guy, then gives him back his wallet and then tries to get money back from him to give to a homeless person. So, you know, there's niceness there, but he's also robbing someone as well. So there's a Robin Hood kind of vibe. I'm wondering, how do you see him? Do you see Toby as a good guy or a bad guy or a mixed up guy or all three of those? It's a little bit both. Like, I think he is, he's true to what he believes in with a disregard of the ramifications of seeing that through. And I think Mm -hmm. that is both admirable and potentially destructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that single-mindedness, provided it is for a good cause, usually ends up positive. But I think it's we've got to be aware that that same single-mindedness in any other direction can be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. So I think he's uh, he's a little bit of both. I think it's I think it's a bit of both. I think yeah. he's, he's well-intentioned with a disregard as to how he brings about what he ultimately wants. So. Uh, yeah. Does that answer the question? It certainly does. And then some. Uh, Purcell, did you learn uh, to graffiti or whatever the correct verb is for this? Did you yeah. kind of take classes in it? or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we we had some time before the film started to, to prep, basically. And I think um, 
yeah, between myself, Babak and George, we, we, yeah, we decided that we definitely wanted to pick up um, just the techniques and stuff. And um, we, you know, wanted to understand more about that world, more about the movement and the culture, where it started from, how it's inspired. And just also for us, it's important just, yeah, just for, for, the, for these characters to, you know, really believe in that world and, the, and, and, and them, but just knowing the techniques and just, it's so fascinating. I think there's so many things that we learned and especially about these two, writers uh you know we we are you know i guess a part of a movement i came by and it was mm. important for us to also learn other writers out there you know who do do it for political reasons it was important to understand like why they do it and and then also just the missions how how do they get ready for their missions and i guess myself and george you know we we have this sort of double act going on in terms of our movement and our dance of how we we do that do do the the, the the spraying so it was important for us to learn yeah, you, you look like pros, I have to say. <laughs> and, you, you know, it's it's a, obviously there's all these uh, political maybe aspects to it and the modern paranoia people might have about the world and Britishness and race. But the two of you together, in a way, it's a, it's a study of friendship. And, and, you know, not that I was a graffiti artist, but there's a scene in a cafe where Purcell, you say to George, I don't want to do this anymore. And I've had stuff like that in my 20s with people where you decide you're not going the right way. I need to go a different way. It's actually quite affecting as, as a study of friendship. Did you see it as a friendship tale? And either of you can answer that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think it's, it's um, as they say, sometimes like friendship heart, like breaks up, friendship heartbreaks are sometimes the hardest because of just mm. the mm. love that these two have for, for each other. And I think we, we did that piece in the audition, in fact. Okay. Know, spent a lot yeah. of time just you know, playing around with it and finding different nuances and different ways of how, you know, I was going to tell him and the way that he would react. And I think each take, I think we were finding different things. And yeah, yeah it was, was it was really something, I think. We spent a lot of time on that scene, actually filming it. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I think, I think the film is definitely friendship is at the core of it. And one of the other themes, which is then linked to it, is loyalty. Like loyalty mm. to your ideas, to your family, to, uh, to your ambitions and to your friends. And mm. like, yeah, and when loyalty split, and so so far, a lot of those things, it kind of works when they're f in the same direction. Yeah. Our friendship was kind of in tandem with our goals in yes. terms of what I came by. And then when someone splits, then, you know, the thing that's at the middle of that split, I don't know, it, you don't know if it can sustain, or at least in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And George, you know, Purcell was talking about learning graffiti. I understand Babak give, gave you kind of movie homework almost. He told yeah. you to watch these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was... um. There, I just, like there was a couple. There was um, the um, I remember that it's uh, Gene Hackman film "Conversate." The, the conversation, yeah, where he's playing the saxophone, yeah. yeah the, the conversation. Um, there was uh, another one with Jack Nicholson. I'm forgetting the title. Where he's he used to be a classical musician. He comes from a family of classical musicians, and he just can't be tied down. And he's working on an oil rig. Oh, and five that, easy pieces, is it? Five easy pieces. Yeah. Funny games. The Hanukkah film. Akira. Yeah, uh, Akira was the other one. The animation. Wow. And just to kind of get a smorgasbord of like, it's a mixture of like really restless characters, um, people who you're sort of terrified because you can't see their logic. Like some of the time it's important that Toby's logic is his own. Mm. And and also what he starts to see in the way that um, the character of Hector unfolds is yeah. not understanding a logic is a terrifying thing. Um, and that's a lot of what those movies were about. Yeah, um, yeah. And also the kind of with Akira, it's kind of the way, at least for Toby, he sort of mythologizes himself. And I yeah. think that was a cultural reference. That's the type of thing he would have loved. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. Boring and and that, that film would have been a kind of 
a favourite of his. So wow. it's a, a mixture for all of those reasons. That's fascinating. George, can I just ask you, as, as you're in front of me, I, I'm sure you're asked this a lot, but there was a movie a couple of years ago, 1917, that lingers long in the memory of, of anyone who's watched it. I'm wondering, like, emotionally, what, what was did that take a lot out of you? People may remember this was a one-take movie. There's a scene near the end that I, I don't know how it was filmed and you were literally running for most of the movie, but particularly towards the end. And uh, my understanding is you you ran into extras and they left it in and it just seemed, I wonder when that was over, did you go, that nearly killed me? Because it just seemed to be a very intense film and an amazing film as well. Well, well thank you very much. I think one of the biggest life lessons I learned was the nature of like what Sam wants to do with that is that it starts on the move and it ends on the move. Mm. Like when those, when those boys wake up, they've been doing a bunch of stuff up until that second. And because it's all one take and the second of the credits roll, he probably would have got, got up, got some food, gone back and started again. Mm. And there was this consistency to the way that we had to approach every day that the, the pace never let up. It was a constant. Wow. And and so you weren't working towards an ending. You were just sustaining. Yeah. And when it finished, it finished. Wow. And I, in the same way that he would go on and get some food, I went off and got some food. And <laughs> sort of like it just it was an amazing constant. And it sort of it was really it was a really helpful lesson actually that okay. there was this big finale. Wow. It was just it just stopped, and and so it just stopped, and that meant something else carried on immediately after. And it's only important because you spend time with that person in the same way that you know. For me, I just. So the next thing became important to me and so therefore it's still important but no one else sees that bit you know mm, that, that's fascinating Purcell finally can I just ask you outside of the movie I was reading this morning about you that you're the founder of Wall of Comedy uh, what, what is the Wall of Comedy exactly? <laughs> it's, um, it's a platform uh, I created um, about five years ago um, essentially I did a YouTube series ten years ago and uh was creating content on YouTube and with the, the the aims of taking it to TV. And then um, we did that. And then in turn, we wanted to create a platform to help other people. So we created this wall of comedy to, to help, you know, other creators like ourselves to come up with ideas, to nurture them, to, to see their potential really. And then now, um, you know, we, we, we produce content on, on YouTube and TV online and, and hopefully in the cinema in the future. So yeah, just basically just wanted to, a freedom of expression. Yeah. Just okay. kind of keep creating and help people along the way. Well, well, hats off. Uh, lovely to speak to you both. Thank you so yeah. much. Cheers. Thank you. Man. Thanks so much. Man. Yes. Purcell Ascot and George Mackay, there talking to me about their role in I Came By. Now, Hugh Bonneville is the main star in I Came By, and I'm going to be talking to him after the break. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now before the break, you heard me talking to Kelly MacDonald and a couple of the other actors from I Came By, the new Netflix thriller, which is now streaming on Netflix. At its centre is the great Hugh Bonneville, who plays Hector Blake, who is a retired judge, but there may be more to him. Uh, and his house. I won't say any more than that. And it's a departure for Hugh Bonneville because it's a, it's a darker character, whatever else happens to him and it's certainly a darker role than he than he's 
played of late, of late. And Hugh Bonneville, again, like Kelly MacDonald, really doesn't need any introduction. I'll just remind you that, you know, he was the dad and is the dad, <laughs> Lord Grantham, in Downton Abbey. He's the dad, again, in uh, Paddington Bear. He was in Notting Hill. He's done all sorts of things. A lovely, fascinating guy who was talking to me on Zoom. And again, this happened a few weeks ago. I was doing it from a certain room where there were lots of pictures of my family. Take a listen to this. Hello, John. It's very nice to see you. Before we go any further, I have to ask you about the pictures on the wall. I keep forgetting about those. I do this in this room and these celebrities like yourself go, tell me about that. And I forget they're there. They're all my children and my wife, my one wife. So I was going to say, are you a Mormon? No. Um, There's a lot of pictures, but um, lovely. I just, I, I, I just, people put up these backgrounds and I just thought this is more real. I'm sitting in a house 60 miles from Dublin. Why not let the talent know where I am, you know? <laughs> Can I just check something? Because people are making a lot about the fact that, you know, this is Hugh Bonneville, the bastion of good manners and Britishness. Weren't you playing a serial killer or certainly a killer in a TV show on ITV in the 90s called The Commander? Yeah. But yeah yes, in The Commander, you're quite right. There was a sort of a, 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 ja- a jagged edge type uh, scenario yes. in, a, in a show with uh, Amanda Burton. Uh, where, you know, was I the good guy? Was I the innocent guy who protested to be or not? Did I have a wonky E on my typewriter, so to speak? Mm. And um, uh, and then there was a, yeah, there was another one. Uh, there's another film that, in fact, didn't trouble the box office too much. So, I, <laughs> so this, is, uh, this is not virgin territory for me. Yeah. Uh, someone who's, uh, as I say, misunderstood. But it, it, I suppose in the public consciousness of late, because of a certain TV show and, and also a small teddy bear and stuff like that, you're seen as this genial kind of avuncular kind of fellow. So was it a treat to go somewhere different this time around? Oh, uh, absolutely. And that's what, uh, of course, you know, I've made the script leap up at me, really, partly for the character, but principally because I found the story so compelling because it was so original. Um, and I thought tackled um, some interesting ideas, but in a, in this sort of thriller uh, genre, in the film noir genre, and uh, gave a fresh look at London and mm. uh, and the different sort of uh, sets of characters, different strata of society, all merging into this uh, into this narrative and i it was just the constant surprise of the of the read as i as i went through it that uh, really drew me to it yeah I, w- I was saying to kelly actually there's a there's a brilliant kind of you know and again not to give spoilers but there's a lot of lead characters in it there's a passing of the baton and as a viewer you know what what and that happened many different times so it, it's a great watch that way not that you need me to tell you that but there's there's also a lot going on in it i think it's making claims about all sorts of things maybe or 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 do you think it is i mean people have talked about the paranoia in it there may be a race issue there do you see greater themes than just a straight ahead thriller in this well i think any themes or any uh, quotes messages to take away of those for the, that's for the audience to discern not for uh certainly the actors and or even perhaps the filmmaker to uh, dictate um but there's no question that uh, you know babak's interest is in about is about in this film is about those those who feel outside society in mm. various ways and how do you how do you protest and how do you make a, a protest that is positive and and uh, affecting society for the better um beyond just in this case tagging a wall you know what what are mm. they achieving by doing that and at the other end of the social scale you've got someone who's in the position of power uh, and his uh, is so used to being in charge of that uh, the strings that pull uh, pull power, pull the levers of power, of power or the puppets within uh, the upper echelons of society that uh, 
Why would they want anything to change? And they don't want anything to change. But then within that, there's an even darker, stranger world going on. So every time you think you've got the handle on what this film's about, uh, mm. that manages to slightly shift the prism. And uh, so you, you never quite know what's around the corner. Or yeah. Indeed. I was talking to Babic and I was talking to George and Purcell and he gave them homework. He, he gave them all these great movies like The Conversation and stuff to watch. We were just talking about it, like Gene Hackman and uh, Five Easy Pieces. I, you know, are, are you two avuncular to be given homework or did he do any of that with you? Well, I was a bit surprised when he suggested, uh, uh, when he suggested Bambi as, as a bit of research, but I know what he meant in a clever sort of way. It's that same sort of, you know, loss of home and but but cuddliness at the same time. So uh, no, he didn't. He he let he let me off homework because okay. I think I think he knew I'd watched the conversation uh, several times. <laughs> and, uh, that it was these youngsters who needed a bit of film education. No, that's that's not the case. They, they're they're both you know wonderful young actors, and uh, and to have George at the centre of this and, and Purcell as well. Um, you know, they're they're dynamic young actors, and uh, uh, you know, to have an old fart like me around, I was very very grateful to them. Well, just to say that, and I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, but you looked very trim and debonair in it. Yeah. Uh, did you did you put in a bit of pounding at the gym, as they say? Or <laughs> no, all joking aside, you did look quite spelt and and well maintained. Yeah, where's it all gone wrong? Yeah, um, but it was this time last year, and it was just a you know, emergency from the pandemic, and I had actually kept rather fit during the pandemic. Okay, and uh, now I'm back to my lazy ways. But um, come come. Uh, no, it was. Uh, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a conscious effort. It was a happy byproduct of uh, okay. a global upset. Mm. Okay. Uh, tell me this. I read this morning that you're publishing a memoir, playing under the piano, mm. in October, and you're going to do a little almost roadshow where you're going to go around English towns and talk about it. You know, I, I presume. And it, m m maybe this sounds like an oxymoron, but if someone goes to write a book about their life. There must be a lot you want to tell or that you think, God, some strange things have happened to me on this ride. Well, it was simply it came from a very, uh, very nice uh, but um, persistent agent who'd uh, started nagging me about eight years ago to, to write something. And I said, look, I'm really not a writer and it's not my, you know, and I've got, you know, I don't think my life's any more interesting than anybody else's. But then eventually he said, well, at least could you just jot down a few stories that you, that you can recall, you know, before you go senile? And um <laughs> And so I, that's basically what I started doing and uh, okay. just jotting down a few snapshots over the last, you know, 30, 35 years or whatever it's been. And, um, and that sort of accumulated into a, a sort of string of little stories and, uh, and flashbacks and, you know, memories of working with X, Y and Z and, and a few occasional stories about my, my own family, my, my, my father who went on the, you know, the journey of dementia and passed away and, and my mum. Uh, who I only found out about her, her working life after she'd passed away, that she worked in MI6. And so little surprises like that, which I, mm. you know, um, I wasn't expecting to write about, but sitting down and just trying to, you know, not, not write a manual about how to become an actor, but really this was my experience of becoming an actor and this is how it happened, um, which may or may not throw up a few little pointers for, for people who are following, you know, in the next generation. But uh, it, uh, it, it did, uh, you know, just trigger some stories that I really hadn't anticipated. So it was quite cathartic in one way and a, a very odd experience. And I admire anybody who sits down with a blank page every day and has to write because uh, I can't do it very well. Okay. Well, you're certainly not doing the hard sell on the book, but it, it sounds fascinating to me. Buy the book, guys. Uh, yeah, there you go. Listen, I want to wrap now, but, you know, we come to that awkward moment in every interview you've done in the last 12 years where someone asks you about Downton Abbey, but top line in, in one sentence, because I've seen the whole series and all the movies and all that. Why is it still continuing to hold 
the public imagination. Like the last movie did gangbusters. I see yeah. you grimacing. I thought you'd have an answer rehearsed. No, you know? I know. It's just that I just you know it, it is a it is a very common question, and there's never a good answer. Okay. It's, I don't know. We got lucky. Put it that way. Okay. Listen, okay. We got lucky. You got lucky. Maybe you should have called your book that. Listen, it was lovely. <laughs> it was lovely to talk to you again, Hugh. And I came by as Grace. So thanks. Good. A lot. Thank you. Well, up to you and all the pictures on your wall. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye bye. Yeah. Hugh Bonneville there bidding farewell to me and indeed to all the pictures on my wall, the wall of the room from which I was speaking to him from. And that was Hugh Bonneville, as I say, talking to me about his life and times, but also his new movie, which he stars in on Netflix, I Came By, a very decent thriller. Now, finally, I want to bring you my short chat with its director, Iranian-English director, Gabak Anvari, who I wasn't that familiar with. I knew he'd done a movie called Under the Shadow, which was the Foreign Language Academy Award selection for for the UK back in 2017. And he's done a couple of other movies. And this is a very stylistic movie I came by. So I was very interested to have a chat with him. Tell me this. Is it true in a way this is the movie you've always wanted to make or you've certainly been sitting on it for 20 years when you were a wild college student? It it is true. I I came up with it when I was a wild film student. uh, And there's a bit of me in in the characters of Toby and Jay. And a lot of my, uh, you know, those characters are also influenced by a lot of my friends. So mm. once they watch it, they're going to come after me because they're going <laughs> to recognize themselves in those characters. But um, yeah, I came up with it uh, when I was a uh, film school, but uh, wrote it down. Of thought it's going to be like a good first feature. It was far more simpler back in the day, uh, more con- uh, contained. Uh, but, um, you know, obviously went and did a different first feature, mm-hmm. then revisited my notes and saw this. And I was like, well, this is very relevant and timely still. And mm. but now I have to, you know, I, I've aged and I realized that it can, it can be as earnest as the original idea and the real world is far more complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So managed to layer it a bit more, hopefully. Yeah, yeah very much so. And, and tell me, the, the two central guys, you talk about, you know, them being, you know, an amalgam of you and your friends and all. So do you see them as, you know, I don't want to say good guys or bad guys, but they're, they're, how, how do you see them in terms of their motivations? Like, do you think they're on the side of the angels or the devils, or is that too simplistic a way of putting it? I think, it, like I said, I, I, I think things are not uh, black and white like mm. that, but, uh, but I think in their head, they're heroes and they're trying to change things. They're trying to be radicals. They're basically targeting these uh, elites to, and, and, and tagging their walls saying that oh, we're watching you, you know, mm. like, but uh Obviously, like for Jay, it started off being more politically motivated with Toby. He's more like a rebel without a cause person that wants an outlet for his anger. Mm. almost. Mm. Uh, um, and and then that was a, another interesting idea that I was playing with, with the Jay's character. You know, I think it's I'm like paraphrasing. I think it's a German saying that like uh, when you're young, uh, you have dreams and you're radical as you grow older, you become more and more conservative, mm. not, not in politically, but in a way you think, you know, you think of responsibilities, mortgage, family. And I was trying to like explore that with Jay's character that he goes like, look, I'm, I need to grow up now. I need to grow up very quickly. Whereas mm. Bobby was like, you're a sellout, you know, in his head. And I'm still going to continue with this anger, outlet of anger. But I think again, the shift for Toby's character played by George Mackay is that when he ultimately finds himself in a real situation, he realizes that 
I can't just be this loose cannon. I need to do something. I need to act. I need to take some level of responsibility. Uh, you know, so yeah, it was fascinating, like playing uh, with those characters and exploring them. I can imagine, you know, a lot of, well, I, I noticed it myself because I know a small bit about the cinema, but a lot of people are saying how Hitchcockian this is. Do, do you have a feeling that maybe Hitchcock, I don't know, is out of favor and you wanted to remind the world of some of his storytelling devices? I, I For sure. I don't think he's out of favor. I mean, he's he's still the master, at least in my opinion, sure. the, you know, the master of suspense. And I think, you know, when I set out, I was like, um, it's funny because obviously Hitchcock is from Britain, but uh, rarely these type of films get made here now. Like mm. Americans do it, even like uh, countries in the Far East, like South Korea and Japan do great Hitchcockian films. Europe, like in France, do it. I was like, I want to bring back those sensibilities back to Britain and like make a Hitchcockian film set in London. Also, London, it's, like, it's a wonderful place for making a new noir. Why, mm. why hasn't been used more often? And uh, so that was like, you know, like my the first inspiration was genuinely Hitchcock and and his, his films and his filmmaking. Uh, so, yeah, I, I hope it delivers on that, you know, paying homage, but also like pretty much set in the modern times, you know, sure. you know, uh, but, you know, taking inspiration from the master. Yeah, well, you've made your own thing, that's for sure. You know, oh. the title is great, and the tag, I Came By. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been used on a graffiti wall anywhere else. Did you come up with that? Yes, and okay. it was it was funny because I, when I decided that these uh, these characters, originally, in the original idea, they weren't graf graffiti artists. Uh, uh, but when I, when I landed on the idea, oh, it would be cool that they're actually graffiti artists, um, or writers, as they call themselves, I was like, they need to. It needs to be a tag that says, uh, "I've been to your place. I'm watching you. Be careful mm. to these elites." So you know, it suddenly came to me like the the I came by like yeah. hit me, and I yeah, I, I searched everywhere to make sure that <laughs> being used, and luckily. And yeah, so so thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah well, you'll have to patent it. You know, uh, at the center, we have Hugh Bonneville, who is this judge. And you, even the role of being a judge it just seems unassailable. You know, judges do no wrong. And you want someone utterly British. And like Hugh Bonneville, aside from all the roles he's played that are so British, he is you know, like the Wellington Monument of Britishness in a way, you know, he, he gives that off. It, did you want him from day one or was it was it was it happy an accident of casting? Uh, he was he was my top choice and I was very stubborn. <laughs> OK, because I really wanted him, especially because he hasn't done such a role before. And and like you said, he's known for his family films and Downton. And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, I was after sort of platonic, Englishman, very charming, but that is hiding this really dark secret. And I really didn't want to go and cast someone who'd done these type of roles before. Uh, so when I when I went to Hugh, first conversation, he asked loads of questions. So I was like, I don't know if he's going to do it or not. But <laughs> hats off to him because he's such a brave man and he really fully wanted to do something different. And I think he did a wonderful job. And and he's been such a great collaborator as well, um, you know. And I, the the, mo the day I realized that he's coming on board, he sent me this lovely message saying, 
uh, I'm looking forward to creating this monster with you. <laughs> and then, yeah, we went on the journey to do that. Yeah. Yeah, great. Listen, finally, I've spoken to Mark Cousins a couple of times, that great British cinephile. And, you know, he constantly talks about, and he doesn't criticize people for it, but he's trying to show us a world of cinema out there in Iran, in South Korea, like you mentioned. You know, your first feature and you're British-Iranian, your first feature was Persian. Does it bother you does it does it astound you that people like me in ireland and in england where you are today we don't see half as much world cinema as as i think we we probably should for various reasons is that is that a, a an axe you want to grind or have you are you fine with that or where do you stand on all that i i think uh i'm a big fan of world cinema as you can tell I'm yes a of course nerd and I always have an issue with people who can't watch subtitle films. <laughs> it's like, why? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're reading it or watching it. I was like, come on, like, you know. Um, but I, I think, uh, I'm, uh, I think it's necessary to, you know, watch um, more and more of like what's out there in the world, like what, like what other countries offer, you know, as uh, part of their culture and cinema. And, and, you know, because it also it creates conversations and you get to see different point of views in the world and not, uh, you know, get too comfortable with your own sort mm -hmm. of like, uh, you know, like tunnel vision. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm a huge advocate of that. And thankfully, for you know, with streamers now around the world, you have mm -hmm. one has access to watch so many different films and shows from different cultures, you know. And I think things are picking up. People are like, you know, um, uh, like, for instance, uh, you know, I hear that, like, you know, like that show on Netflix, like um, Dark, mm -hmm. uh, which was a German series, became very popular. I mean, again, like that's more like Western. But you know what I mean? Like people sure, are sure. Like, getting more and more access to like films and TV shows from around the world, which I think is very exciting. I was like Squid Game, for instance. Became yeah. Corona. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, I better go. But from one film nerd to another, uh, congratulations. And I came by. Really appreciate it. Babak Anveri there talking to me about his movie on Netflix, I Came By, and his views on world cinema. And as I say, I Came By is on Netflix now since the 31st of August, and it's well worth a watch. Maybe a good Saturday evening watch if you're not going to the cinema on World Cinema Day, or you can watch it on Sunday. Now, talking of the cinema, Blackbird was released this week, the Michael Flatley movie. And Mark Ryle is outside, raring to go. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. So, it's finally arrived. Is today the day you wish to confess your sins? Not today. My sins are my own. about the incident in London. Blake Molyneux is extremely dangerous. This is our chance. We must get Victor involved. No one can do what he does. I'm not the man I used to be. The Blackbird is dead. 
Yes, that was a clip from the much-talked-about Blackbird. Regular listeners to News Talk will know I was reviewing this already in the show, on or already in the week on Pat Kenny's show with Anton Savage, who was filling in for Pat, and I wasn't terribly complimentary. But you ain't seen nothing yet, because our resident critic, Mark Ryle, is here to review that. And also a very different movie, 3,000 Years of Longing. Mark, we were at the cinema together. Yeah. How do you know I'm not going to say that this is, a, this is amazing? Uh, <laughs> okay. Strap, <laughs> strap yourselves in, folks. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> will you, uh, I don't know how much background you want to give people, well, but, but will you... Okay. This this has been long talked about because it, has, yeah. it was going to hit the screens in 2018, but something happened. Yeah, it's a it's a gift to the people from the prestigious <laughs> Dance Lord Pictures, and it's arrived all the way through a time tunnel from the year 2018, and it's here. <laughs> yes, but it was meant to get a release then, and then it did. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it was. It was. It was. It was filmed in 2018, um, yeah. and discounting two years of COVID, I've. I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah, there was a screening, a one-off screening where no press were invited. And, I believe you. Uh, but as I was saying to Anton Savage, it's kind of like Prince's Black Album. It was long rumoured, you know? <laughs> so anyway, it is here. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> Tell people what it's about. Okay. Um, so Michael Flatley plays Victor Blackley. <laughs> and Victor is, he's a super secret agent stroke hotelier. Um, he's a man of many, many hats, quite literally. Um, <laughs> it, this could be the first movie ever that required the use of a hat wrangler. Yeah. Um, and all of these hats are worn cocked at a jaunty 45 degree angle. Um, anyway, Victor just wants to be left to run his hotel in peace and to be alone with his tortured grief for his dead wife. But um, everyone keeps on asking him to to do the thing again. Please do that thing again, Victor. You have to do the thing one more time, they all say. Um, I'm not doing the thing again. I don't do the thing anymore, he replies over and over and over again. Because Victor really loves that hotel. I've never seen a thriller that spends so much time dealing with the the practicalities of running a hotel. Um, And most of what happens in the first 25 minutes is Michael Flatley and his staff discussing when Eric Roberts is arriving and what room he's going to be staying in, which is the infinity suite, if you were wondering. But see, the problems that Eric Roberts has some top secret baby formula that does something bad and he's going to sell it on to some stereotypical Middle Eastern villains. So then in the last 10 minutes, uh, Victor has no choice but to do the thing again. Yes. So that's it in a nutshell. Yes. And the thing again being becoming a super agile action hero slash. Yeah, spy. but he doesn't yeah. want to, John. He doesn't want to do that. No, he doesn't. He's conflicted. He's conflicted. He's, he's tortured. Uh, <laughs> your, your, your point about the hats is, is very well made. My okay. God, the hats. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we, we should say that Michael Flatley's character is part of the much fabled bunch of spies from no discernible geopolitical area that I could discern called the Chieftains, which the also Dubliners. includes which, <laughs> which also includes uh, Patrick Bergen, who seems to be head of the Chieftains. Oh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, he's in yeah, it for exactly. all of five minutes. Yeah. Um, and other people as well. So let's start, like, until Gene Butler writes and directs a rom-com, I can safely say <laughs> that this is the best movie I've ever seen that was written and produced and directed and starring a next cast member of Riverdance. I can say that without without any exaggeration. That's true. That's true. Yes. Uh, anything else you want to say about it? Oh, I've got thoughts. Yeah, I have. 
I have some notes, all right, yeah. Well, um, can, can I can I intervene and yeah. tell you uh, just to, to tee it up for you? I suppose I was shocked by how terrible this was. Like I knew it was going to be a vanity project, and mm-hmm. I didn't have high expectations for it. Yeah. But it was really, really bad. And we were at a screening for the press, mm-hmm. and you know it's full of jaundiced people like you and me who go to too many movies. But there was lots of laughter in all yeah. the wrong places. Yeah, in all the wrong places. The, the only way, I was thinking about this, and the only way I think it could have worked was that if it was a comedy and Flatley had the self-awareness to, you know, to, to take the rise out of himself and his, the way he's seen by the public persona, like, like something like Nick Cade did in, in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Mm. But the thing is that he doesn't have an ounce of self-awareness in his body. And this is deadly serious. It's po-faced clap trap from start to finish. And you just have to marvel at the the sheer mind-boggling hubris of the man. It's just staggering because I don't know what planet he's living on, but it's not Earth. Um, and there's, there's 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 two things that you really come away from watching this with. The first is how on Earth did he ever think that this was a good idea? And the second is why did nobody who was around him tell him what a terrible idea it was? Um, y- yes. <laughs> Yes, I'm just nodding along here. I'm nodding yeah. along. It has to. I have to say now, in fairness, it does look like a movie. It, this is not the room. The room just looks like a, a mental breakdown. And this is, in fairness, sorry. It, when you mean the room, just explain. The for movie, the Tommy Wiseau room, yeah. the, the worst movie of all time. <laughs> um, and it is like, to be fair, it is watchable. And I think we both watched it. We've proved that it's watchable. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing is, though, I have no idea who would want to watch it. Um, I'd say there are people who are in the movie who don't want to see it, you know. Um, and it might have some kind of a future alongside stuff like The Room and Plan 9 from Outer Space mm-hmm. in a, a worst films of all time screening season. But like my, I th- I'm worried about my next electricity bill, John. I don't know who's going to lay down 15 quid to willingly watch something like this you know knowing in advance that it is going to be terrible well it's funny you say that because i i was as i say talking to anton savage and i said i think you might want to go and see this because Mm. i do think it's as a curiosity if you know what i mean in but completely in the vein of plan nine from outer space or the rocky horror picture show like i imagine people mm. might play drinking games with it every oh time i can i can well imagine hat or something. people yelling hat at, at the screen yeah. every and downing a shot seconds. yeah <laughs> exactly yeah yeah the plot though <laughs> as i suppose what i thought was was the oh, worst God. thing it's, about yeah it, right it's, it's because shocking. it's 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 like he's seen two movies casablanca and <laughs> Uh, some James Bond movie, Casino Royale, and they're the yeah. only two movies he's ever seen, and he's tried to make himself yeah. both of those characters. It is fascinating. You can pinpoint exactly when he his development as a cultural citizen just stopped, and it's mm-hmm. like the last fifty years never happened. Um, obviously, he, yeah, he's lifted two big influences, and the first is is very obviously Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca, yeah. um, and that's blatant. It's amazing he didn't name the hotel. Flatley's Cafe American instead of Blue Moon or Blue Nun or whatever the hell it was called. <laughs> and, you know, the second influence is James Bond, but it's not the cool Daniel Craig James Bond. It, his James Bond is Roger Moore. And it's not even the good Roger Moore. It's Roger Moore in A View to a Kill when he was at least 20 years too old for it. Um, 
it, it's like it is if if Alan Partridge won the lottery, this is the movie that he would make. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that's a very good way of putting it. Let's, we don't have to go to town on this because, you know, oh, the, please, ma- the, the man made a movie. So, but just the Roger Moore thing, I think, is quite insightful because when Roger Moore was at the height of his James Bond pomp, let's say, it yeah. was a bit ridiculous, but there was a raised eyebrow. There was a knowing glance to the camera. This is devoid of knowing glances to the camera. Yeah, there is no trace of irony in this whatsoever. And that's no. what makes it so bizarre. Are. It's staggering. It's yeah. staggering. In 2022, it is just it's it, it blows my mind. But look, there you go. And, and on that, I mean, you know, there is also the fact that you know you have women who appear to be at least half his age. One in particular coming into his room, you yeah. know, naked, and, and it just doesn't make any sense in this day and age. It Not that it ever should have, but I just mean in the times we live in, it seems even more out of step. He's got, there's a character in this. I think he, he describes him as my humble manservant or something along those lines. I mean, even, but even taken flatly out of the equation, it's, it's, it's a masterpiece of bad cinema. He cannot act for Toffee. <laughs> <laughs> you know? okay. And the thing, but the thing, the smart thing to do in that situation was be, would, would be to surround yourself with, with talent and with people who can act. But he's, he's, he's picked Eric Roberts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's been in a lot of duds, let's face oh. it. Uh, tell me this. I'm nearly yeah. afraid to ask, but what would you say stars-wise? Compose yourself. I'm going to give it a one just for the sheer hubris. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I've ever given a movie a one, but I'm going to. I'm I'm going to give it a one. He made a movie, and there's lots of hats in it. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's one for Blackbird, and we're yep. still scratching our heads, Mark and I. <laughs> okay, so listen, as I banged on about everywhere I could, uh, Idris Elba was on the show last week talking about his new movie Beast, which I actually think you you might have really enjoyed. It's it's a real good kind of you know, almost B-movie kind of man fights lion. Uh, yeah. And then a week later, he's he's in a new movie called 3,000 Years of Longing, which I haven't seen because mm. obviously I've been busy at Blackbird and stuff like that, directed by the famed George Miller, also starring George Tilda Miller. Swinton. What's going on in this? Yeah, I haven't seen Beast. It's been a busy week. So uh, 3,000 Years of Longing, it's, yeah, it's from the mind of the mad genius, Dr. George Miller. And most people will know George Miller from the Mad Max films. And I suppose this is a, it's a relatively small palate cleanser that he's he's written and directed in between, yeah, one of the most insane things I've ever seen, which is Mad Max Fury Road. And it's forthcoming prequel Furiosa, which is due in 2024. And you've moment. said before on this show, and I agree with you, Mad Max Fury Road was a complete surprise and a brilliant work of cinema. It's just incredible. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a masterpiece, and I don't use that word lightly. No, you don't. Um, this, it's no um, black word. No. Jeez, <laughs> oh, stop. Um, it's dead. Don't stop kicking. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Tilda Swinton, is, uh, she plays a character called uh, Alithia, and at the beginning of the film, she describes herself as adequately happy and alone. Um, Alithia is something called a, narrat- a narratologist, which as far as I could work out, it means that she's, a, she's an academic scholar of stories. Um, stories, she says, are the only way of making sense out of our bewildering existence. Anyway, she's in Istanbul at a conference and she's giving a lecture on narratology. And then she travels to this bazaar and she buys a, an old antique bottle. 
And when she opens it, Idris Elba's giant genie explodes out of it. And, you know, as these things usually go, he offers her three wishes. That's that's the story. Okay, okay. Uh, unusual. Uh, mm. It's certainly not script 101, no. like the movie we were talking about earlier. But yep. uh, so uh, an enjoyable ride? It's not a sequel. It's not a remake. And thank God it's not based on a comic book. It's an original story and it's told by a visionary filmmaker. And I really wanted to like it. But in all honesty, I found it a bit dull. Um, what we have here is is an adult fairy tale. And it's I suppose it's a it's a children's story for grown-ups. And I think it might have worked better if it was just a children's story for, for children. Um, okay. A lot of it, in fact, most of the movie is a long conversation in a hotel room between Swinton and Elbra. Um, now, of course, a lot of it's not just them in the hotel room. There's flashbacks to where um, the 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 gin. He's like I, I would use the term genie, but he's a he's a gin in the movie. The gin is telling Alithia what's happened. Well, well, sorry, to him. What do you mean he's a gin? It's D J I N N. It's 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 a, it's another word for a genie. Okay, so so he's okay. not like a cork dry gin on the rocks. No, he's so. not. He's not drinking. Okay, right. Um, so he's telling her what's happened to him, and it's all done through flashbacks over three thousand years, and there's a there's a lot in that. And yes, the flashbacks are very fantastical, but to be honest, they're not particularly interesting. And okay. there was a there for me, there just seemed to be a bit of a lack of ambition in the whole thing. Um, and there's a lot of big effects scenes that really made me happy that 3d isn't a thing anymore um but there is a they all look very there's a kind of an artificial sheen to these these effect scenes that that reminded me a lot of ang lee's um life of pi and not in a good way okay um my major problem with it right is that it just lacks charm because um Elba and Swinton, they're, they're both very, very good, but they do lack chemistry, I think. And mm. I, you have to wonder if, if this story might have been a bit more emotionally rewarding if another actor had played Alithia. Um, because Swinton plays her as, as she's supremely confident, she's content, she's comfortable in her own skin, but it has to be said that she's not really charming. And okay. Swinton is a very, very interesting actor, but and she always yeah. brings a unique slant to everything. But she's not a sentimental actor. Do you know, yeah, what I'm, do you know yeah. where I'm coming from? Absolutely. And my good friend Idris Elba, how was he as the djinn? He was very good. Um, like I said, the problem is that they're, they're, they lack they lack chemistry. Yeah. And uh, Elba does a lot of the, the storytelling. And okay. maybe perhaps uh, Swinton, maybe we just don't get to know enough about her but okay. the other thing the major, the, the other problem is that um, She's given Alithia a really strong Lancashire accent. And, you know, without wanting to offend any uh, Lancastrians, if that's the term, it's it's quite a hard accent to listen to. Okay. Okay. Well, our JNLR figures have just plummeted in Lancashire. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully they're all out having pie. Uh, so, listen, what are you going to say stars-wise for 300 years of longing? Uh, I'm, I'm going to give it a three because I think it's original, but f- for me, it's just lacking in charm, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Mm. Original, but lacking in charm. Fair enough. You know what? I, I don't know if we could ever get past Blackbird this week in a way, no matter what you were bringing me. Godfather yeah. 4 or, you know, it was always going to be tough it's, to it's, follow. 
It's Blackbird Week. So, so that is three for 3,000 Years of Longing, which is in cinemas this week, as is Blackbird, which Mark and I unanimously gave one star to. Mark, thank you. Nice riding these rocky waters with you. Thank you, John. Mark Ryle there with the week's new cinema releases, which included 300 Years of Longing and, of course, Blackbird, which, as you heard there, were still not both the better of it. That is it for this rattle bag of a show this week. Let's do it all again next week. Thank you for listening. I'll just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And of course, it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on News Talk. Thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. You can get in touch with me at any stage. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at Newstalk.com. Have a safe week ahead and I'll talk to you next week.